Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Eric Cohn from IndieWire. Good to see you all here on a weekday. You hear about a movie called Dear White People, and it's like, well, yeah, that sounds like a fun movie. And uh, you watch the trailer, and it sounds like, you know, yeah, that could be a fun movie. But uh, I, this movie is really hilarious, and it's so rare to see a mo something that deals with satire. It takes a satiric approach to, to race in America with uh, such skill and, and sort of in intelligent ways of sort of dealing with a lot of big themes in this country. So um, I'm really excited to welcome the, the director and star. But first, we're going to take a look at the trailer. So let's do that. You're listening to Winchester University's only college radio station. Dear white people, the minimum requirement of black friends needed to not seem racist has just been raised to two. Sorry, but your weed man, Tyrone, does not count. Dear white people, please stop touching my hair. Does this look like a petting zoo to you? Mistress in, dating a black person to piss off your parents is a form of racism. The show is racist. Black people can't be racist. Racism describes a system of disadvantage based on race. But I don't see what the point is in blaming white folks for everything. I really don't see the issue. Never ran into any lynch mob. It would be good to elect someone like you as school president. Someone else is running. Together, we can bring black back to Winchester. Yes. Who does Sam think she is? It's like Spike Lee and Oprah had some sort of pissed off baby. I hope you make it all Dear white people, it's blacker than thou propaganda from a bougie Lisa Bonet wannabe. Black people scare you? I listen to Mumford and Sons and watch Robert Altman movies. Think I'm black enough for the union? Lionel, please. You're only technically black. Sometimes I think the hardest thing to be in the American workforce is an educated white guy. They pay millions of dollars on their lips, their tans, Jay-Z tickets, because they want to be like us. Let's make it do what it do! You want to know why they used to call me Black Mitch? Absolutely. Nobody called you that. You've got no idea what they see when they see you. You've got a thing for Taylor Swift. I know, because my Mac picks up your Mac's library. We're so careful. You don't understand. Girls like me... Have to pick a side? I'm sick of your tragic mulatto bull. You can't say mulatto. Mulatto, mulatto, mulatto! Did somebody say mulatto? How would you feel if someone started a Dear Black People? No need. Mass media from Fox News makes it clear what white people think of us. Your hair is so cute. Is it weaved? Weaved. It's weave. Noun. Present tense. Racism is over in America. Well, the only people who are thinking about it are well, Mexicans, probably. <laughs> All right, please welcome the director of the film, Justin Simeon, and uh, Tessa Thompson, the star. Hey, guys. What's up, Apple Store? Hi. <laughs> this is awesome. 
It's funny. It's like every every element of of sort of the world of this movie feels like it could just sort of like happen. Like when you're walking around, like I, I talk to you, I feel like I'm still like kind of talking to the movie. Right. You know, it's just like it feels very much like it, you have a very distinctive voice, which is why it's such a striking first feature. Thank you. Um, but it's also, I mean, in spite of the fact that it is satire, there are real life elements here. So maybe you, you can walk us through a little bit, sort of. You know what are what are what's the sort of real life foundation for this movie that you started with as you were putting it together? I, I mean, for me, it, it started uh, it started in college, and it started with the conversations that you have in college that are sort of funny, and you know, at the end of the day, kind of ruminating. And we were kind of having this conversation about what our black experience was and how it was nowhere to be found in movies or television. You know, particularly in two thousand five when I was graduating college. Um, the black experience in cinema was uh, so foreign to me <laughs> as a black person. The conversations we were having were really about sort of, you know, being a black person in a, in a predominantly white space and sort of like toggling between our white friends and our black friends and why are they separate and what happens when they come together and just having this different conversation, but also, you know, as a, as a lover of film, kind of longing to have that new conversation in a way that had sort of gone out of vogue by that point. You know, we were sort of pining for the do the right thing era and the school days era and the Hollywood shuffle era of, of cinema. And uh, I kind of wanted to make a throwback that said something new. And that's really where it began. Uh, that's, you know, just out of that experience. So Tessa, when you saw this screenplay, did you see some of that reflected in it? Yeah, that was really clear to me that just it was really unique. I hadn't come across a script like that. And then I think the other thing, aside from just sort of thematically what the movie explores, um, Justin's voice was so apparent, kind of who he was, and I was excited by him coming onto the scene. And then when I saw the concept trailer that he made, um, I got a sense of what the movie would look like and feel like, and that was special. That, that sort of took it to another place. Well, it's interesting because the movie takes into consideration the history of black cinema, or at least sort of the modern history of black cinema, and you're, you directly reference a lot of stuff, including Do the Right Thing, but also Tyler Perry movies, and of course, Tessa, you've been in a Tyler Perry movie, so how did you feel about sort of the, that context being brought into it? Uh, uh, <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I was excited. I'll, I'll just say that. I mean, I, I, I think... What the characters are talking about in Dear White People in the context of this film is that really that there is a hunger for a more varied portrayal of the black experience and black people in cinema, and that's what they're sort of aching for and, and griping about. And that's the thing that I have shared. It's not something that I think is the fault of any one filmmaker, and certainly not Tyler Perry. I think what he's been able to build is is impressive. What becomes problematic is if people then say, this is kind of all that makes sense. This is all we want to get behind. And I think that that's something that a filmmaker like Justin Simeon was sort of struggling with trying to get this movie made. So I think you just need more filmmakers that come onto the scene and go, well, then I'm not going to wait for Hollywood. Then I'll, then I'll just prove to Hollywood that there is a market for this film. And that's why I think what they were able to do with the concept trailer and then garnering an audience before the film even existed, that, that to me is sort of the new power of the internet um, and 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 that's exciting so to, to be a part of that is is incredible but to be a part of for colored girls with that cast of women and telling that story that when it came onto the scene in New York in the 70s that play what that play did was incredible too so uh, 
No shade. Dreams. Dreams. Well, since you mentioned the, the life of the movie, sort of the internet life of the movie before it existed, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that, Justin, sort of yeah. how you're able to mobilize this community before it even existed. Yeah, so before, you know, I mean, this is a script I've been working on for some years, and it, it really began to morph into being less of a college movie, in air quotes, and sort of, you know, using the college as a microcosm to talk about the bigger, the larger American experience. And I just, we, I was, we were all really happy with the screenplay at by that time, I had sort of, you know, my inner circle of producers, uh, Lena Waithe, Angel Lopez, and Lee, and uh, we had a table read for the screenplay. And the conversation that we had at the end of that table read was just so powerful that we felt like the movie needed to get made. But I, I knew nobody in Hollywood was, was really looking for this particular kind of story. It didn't fit the sort of black movie paradigm, you know, at that time. So uh, I decided to just take my tax return, make a concept trailer as if it were a real movie. And, and, and the goal was like, let's make this trailer so good that by the end of it, when you know, you're expecting coming soon, it says, nope, <laughs> give us some money. <laughs> and, and people got into that, man, and they gave us some money. <laughs> they gave us about 50 grand in a 30-day period uh, through an Indiegogo campaign. And the trailer went on to get a million views. And this movie that had no, you know, no stars in it, it was really me and my friends and some actors we found and you know this this concept that no one was familiar with made sort of like uh, became a part of the national conversation and that was really the beginning of of really kind of going around the gatekeepers uh, and getting the movie made anyway well and, and you also sort of crowdsourced as aspects of the screenplay right i mean you sort of used twitter to see That's if right. the jokes worked yeah like all of the dear you know once i decided that the one of the uh, things that happens in the film is that there's this sh this radio show within the world of the film called dear white people and the controversy over whether or not that show is racist is really what begins sort of the you know that's sort of the main thrust of the beginning of the film and in order to give Sam Samantha White played by Tessa you know all of these juicy controversial lines I started this Twitter account to test them out and to see you know what people responded to and the ones that got the most retweets and the ones that frankly got the most you know butthurt comments those are the ones that made the movie <laughs> and also you didn't you, you said something recently that some of the butthurt comments, some of the counter arguments in the film you also developed through some of the voices on Twitter that Yeah, because some of them are, are frankly valid, you know, like and I wanted you know, I, I didn't want to have a sort of dogmatic movie um, that was, you know, a morality play of like this is definitively right and definitively wrong. But I did want to have um, a conversation. So for every point that's in the movie there's there's a counterpoint. And some of those came from Twitter. And did you guys have similar sort of conversations on set? Because, I mean, the, the character is sort of, your character, Tessa, is sort of in this identity crisis of sorts. You know, she, she's sort of preaching to, you know, one audience, but then she's got this white boyfriend and, you know, a different kind of background and so forth. So there are all these different elements in play. Yeah, I, th I, th I think every character, I mean, this is maybe just me defending Sam White, but I think every character in the movie is having an identity crisis of sorts because to me, what some of the, th the thrust of the film is saying that, you know, we're not any one thing, you know, that, that our identity is really fluid and, or, or our self, who we really are is fluid and, and that there's conflict when we project an identity or we're boxed into an identity by someone else, whether it's society or a parent in the case of someone like Troy. Um, 
So, so in that sense, I feel like everyone in the film is is kind of struggling with that. What was your question? <laughs> I think you're answering it. Am you're I? on the right track. I don't, I'm just talking, and then I'll just see where I get. But what, what did you say? Well, here, the the real question is, you know, how, do you, do you relate to anything that this particular character is going for? I mean, it's one thing to defend her. Oh yeah, 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 right. Um, anything that she's going through? Yeah, I think so because. I think more than any, she just likes really, you know, being sharp and um, sort of cutting through and any one thing and getting a rise out of people. But to me, the thing that I really felt was an anchor for Sam and a, and a source of her anger is she's really pissed off about how apathetic we can be as people, how we cannot want to look at the landscape around us and call a spade, you know, call it like it is and call a spade a spade. I think that's, I think that's her biggest issue, or at least that's the thing that I can anchor onto as far as her anger. Um, and that doesn't have to do with white people, really. I mean, occasionally it does, of course, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's, not, it's not limited to them, certainly. What were you want to say, Sam? I was just going to say, reference the letter that you wrote me. Uh, what were we going to say about it? I was just going to say, you know, you wrote this letter that was, you know, you were kind of drawing parallels between what the film was talking about and some of the things that were going on in your life. And oh, yeah. that was kind of how I first met you was through this letter that you sent. Well, I wrote him this letter because I, the one thing that I really kind of understood was I, I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, and Los Angeles is obviously really a diverse place. The high school I went to was 4,000 kids, a public school in Santa Monica, and there was every you know racial group, socioeconomic standing represented in the in the student body. But the school itself was really segregated. Um, at lunch, people would sort of fit into these pockets, much like the world of dear white people. You could really see where everyone existed, and 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 like Lionel in the this movie, the character in the movie who decided or sort of like who are my people? I kind of felt that way in high school, and instead of just like not really having a, a person and sitting alone at the lunch counter. I just, like, freshman year, I was like, okay, I'm this kind of person. And it meant that I had to deny other things that I, that I was to sort of fit in there. And so I understood what that, what that was. That feeling of being like, oh, I'm kind of, this is kind of phony. Um, and I, I, I got that about Sam. And so I've, in that way, I felt like her character and her storyline was kind of a love letter to a previous part of myself just to say like you can really reconcile all those things you can be all the things that you are and that's cool and you'll find your people as soon as you can really be honest about about what you are and what you like taylor swift loving and all <laughs> yeah, you love that new taylor swift song you know what i haven't heard the new taylor swift song but i really like state of grace people. on the album don't lie to i do people, Tessa. So I'm talking about the energy of the movie just follows you guys around wherever you go. So, you know, one of the things that I actually think is interesting about that is, you know, there, there's so much real-world context going on here. Um, also, some of the plot of the movie, including things like, I believe there's a blackface uh, subplot, you know, so maybe you could talk a little bit about That's these That's very things. ominous. A there's blackface a, There's a blackface subplot. subplot. In this film. Um, it's no, a real commercial story. Yeah, know? right. No, I mean, one of the, the things that the movie touches upon is, is this phenomenon at, you know, institutions of higher learning, uh, tending to be, you know, predominantly white attended institutions where uh, groups of kids sort of throw parties, whether they're Halloween parties that are copiously or dubiously themed or, uh, you know, in honor of Black History Month or whatever. 
And it's like a coded way for kids to kind of show up in these really tired stereotypes and oftentimes leads to blackface. And it's a phenomenon that's like currently going on in the country at, you know, very prestigious schools and state schools and community colleges and all over the place. And uh, we touch upon that a bit in the film. So uh, it, were, were there themes that were, were it felt like you struck a nerve, let's say, when you started showing the movie around a little bit? I mean, uh, is there any, any sort of way where you can go too far with this kind of storytelling? I mean, for me, it was a matter of focus. You know, like I knew that the, you know, race politics was going to be in the world of the story um, and, and sort of, you know, race consciousness is on the minds of the characters. But at the end of the day, at its core, you know, I really see it as a movie about identity. And, and I wanted to comment on something that was, you know, an aspect of the human condition. I wanted to do it with a, you know, a bl- from a black point of view, my point of view, but it's, it's something that is universal. And kind of the proof that I accomplished that is, is, is when we screen the film and we talk to people who don't really look like the characters on the screen, they're not of the same race, or they didn't have that same exact experience and they were able to connect. And for me, that's sort of what it's all about, you know, as a storyteller, is being able to say something about the human condition, but to do so from a point of view that people aren't as familiar with. So were there other kinds of, like, research that you brought to the, to the film in that sense? I mean, when you, when you were writing it, were you thinking in terms of, of real people? I mean, for me, it was really about telling the story that was in my heart to tell. You know, I've had some experience with being black. (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah. Shocking. Uh, 31 years, in fact, I've lived as a black man. Uh, And that, you know, that went into the project. Uh, But also just sort of like commenting on... (laughs) You've done so much research for this film. Uh, you know, we commented on things that were happening in the real world. And I also just, just to, it's a multi-protagonist story. There are a few different threads happening at once. And it's a very specific genre um, that in some ways has gone out of vogue that, you know, isn't as prevalent as perhaps it used to be. And and there was a lot of research just in, like, how those stories functioned and, and how um, those narratives came together. And... You know, so a lot of my research was about how to write the story, um, but I also did some reading. You know, there's a book called um, "Why Do the Black Kids Sit Together in the Cafeteria?" that was a profound influence on the film. Uh, also, Torres' uh, "Who's Afraid of Post-Black America?" You know, just uh, things that were sort of attempting to articulate, um, you know, what the experience of being a person of color looks like now, as opposed to how it's sort of traditionally looked. Mm. So we have some clips. You want to set up the first one for us here? Yeah. What's the first one again? <laughs> oh, 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 you can't sit here, I think is the first one, right? Okay, so uh, this is sort of the first time that uh, Samantha White meets uh, what will eventually become her nemesis, which is a very, uh, a very sort of outspoken critic of her show, Dear White People, who is also um, a bit enamored with her, I'll say. And this is their first sort of... Uh, a public confrontation. All right, let's take a look. Well, on behalf of all the colored folks in the room, let me apologize to all the better qualified white students whose place we're taking up. No, it's fine. We're okay. I'm sorry, did you get lost? Bichet's that way. Oh, I know where it is. I'm actually supposed to eat there. Yeah, it's just there's, this is the only dining hall that you can actually get yourself some chicken and waffles. <laughs> <laughs> look, you're dear white people, right? It's funny. It's funny stuff. It really is. How have we not staffed you yet? Oh, me? 
Oh, what? On, on Pastiche, your uninspired humor magazine? It's actually much more than just a magazine, the sweetheart. SNL staff is basically half lampoon, half pastiche. Same goes for the network comedies. And what gives you clubhouse kids the right to come to our dining hall? You don't live here. Sam, what are you doing? So you can't eat here. Chill, Sam. Damn, all right? Let the man eat. Got this. Got this. Look, who are you to throw me out? Oh, well, I think I'm head of this house. And I'm doing things my way. Doing things her way. The only way she knows how. One of the things I really like about the movie is that the rhythm of the dialogue is just like so consistently satisfying. I mean, I felt like I was watching like one of those 30s or 40s screwball comedies, <laughs> you know, but with this, you know, more contemporary context. So what was it like for you guys to kind of figure out how to get that flow going? Well, uh, for my part, you know, I, it was a lot of giving, giving the actors some references. You know, there was a very specific style to the language that I wanted. And the movie that I, I showed folks was Network. Um, which is, you know, Sidney Lumet, uh, Patty Chievsky written, very written piece. Like, there's no doubt that a very intelligent man wrote every line of dialogue just so in that movie, but yet it's delivered with this sort of slice of life, you know, this sense of it just kind of came to the, uh, you know, occurred to them to say that in the moment. And it's also a satire, and it also is in a bit of a heightened reality. Um, and, 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 but it has a very specific performance style to it um, and you did a lot of sort of thinking and, and, and pondering about Sam's delivery in general right yeah I did a lot of I did a lot of that I did a lot of I think also for someone like Sam who is such a he's is a persona frankly um, so I did a lot of sort of looking at people that live in that space pundits and people that have radio shows and then just people that I was kind of like hmm how can I like sneak in the tone or cadence of this someone, or even if it's not that someone, just to sort of think about them and sit with them? So who are you thinking about? Well, there were the ones that were sort of obvious, like um, Angela Davis or Malcolm X. Um, there was Huey from the Boondocks, which was something that you sort of was like, put that in there. And then there were other ones that, B. Arthur, which for uh, every time I say that, people are confused. I, you don't get B. Arthur from what I'm doing? I kind of get it. I, I've thought Do about it. you get it, it now? And I get it now. <laughs> I told you, um, she's got that very dry Yeah, she's sort like of, really kind of dry. She waits for the right moment and then bam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. whatever. I, I, B. Arthur was really... B. Arthur is kind of always... Never mind. I was we should say, all be thinking about B. Arthur more, like, I think, As general. often as possible. So I thought... And just all of our endeavors. That's yeah. the one takeaway, I think, of this movie. B. Arthur. <laughs> if nothing else. Not be, be yourself so much as B. B. Arthur. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you want to set up the next clip, uh, the tip. Yes, the tip test. So one of the things that is, you know, and maybe it's just me, I agonize about it, but the stereotype that black people don't tip, it, it just totally messes me up. Because, like, even when the service is bad, like, I personally feel this pressure to, like, overcompensate for the stereotype. And then sometimes it's, like, cycles because it's, I feel like the service is bad because they think I'm not going to tip. Therefore, I don't want to tip, but I got to tip because the next black person, you know, it's sort of like this crazy, you know, very black specific, I don't know, neuroses that I wanted to get into. Uh, and so uh, Sam, Sam White has this book on campus called Ebony and Ivory, and it's sort of like this survival guide for you know black people on this white camp campus. And uh, uh, in it, in this book, is something called the tip test, where you can sort of figure out uh, how black you are by how you respond to the situation I just described. All right, let's take a look at the tip test. 
the tip test. You hit up Jellies for a snack. Your waitress mistakes you for someone who looks like you, black, who once ran up a $30 bill and left a dollar tip. You watch all the other customers order before you do. Pastrami sandwich on rye. And then proceed to wait no less than 40 minutes for your food. How do you tip? A. 40 minutes? She's lucky if she gets 40 cents. Okay, you do a good job, maybe see a tip. B. <laughs> she was tripping, but 15% is the least I can do. Or C. I reject the stereotype that African-Americans do not tip. I will leave 20, no, 25, just to prove that I can. One hundred, oof the nose job. So, um, it's, <laughs> did you guys no, have I love the people like alighted by iPads, like just like, oh yeah, I've been there, sorry. Well, that's why I was watching. wondering. I mean, did, was was it as fun to sort of shoot this movie as it is to to watch? Because I mean, it's such a crowd pleaser. Um, it was fun in moments, <laughs> not because you know, like I don't love what I do, but you know, the the process of shooting a movie like this <laughs> in the time frame that we had to shoot it with our budget, it was it was fun is a word I would use, uh, but it was also very challenging. That scene, we were like looking for a location to shoot that, that scene. scene. That scene moved around the schedule so many times, and then one one day we were like in a building and we're like. Is there like a cafeteria back there? Can we get some coffee? And we found like, oh my God, can we squeeze a tip test scene in here? I mean, it was because it was it's, it's it was a fun scene, but it, it would have just like got cut if we didn't find a location to shoot it in. We didn't have the kind of money where we could like rent out like a diner for that fifteen second scene. So, um, you know. And then the day that we shot it, oh my God. a fire alarm went off. That's right. <laughs> for like, we literally had a very short window of time, and then a, a fire alarm went. It was for like seven hours. For like seven hours. <laughs> I mean, there were like there were. Issues there were issues that there was a wig mishap there was stuff <laughs> there's just stuff going on like I'd love to do the pop-up companion like the pop-up video companion to this movie <laughs> yeah. to like alert everybody to like what was happening yeah there were so trivia. many things happening when you make an independent movie a lot of things <laughs> sometimes like just off screen like you know chaos <laughs> is ensuing but, but you know right in what's in frame looks absolutely funny. orderly you know right yeah, I can only imagine it must be hard to be funny at the end of like an eight-hour day or something, right? I mean, I don't know. Sometimes del being delirious makes you quite yeah, funny. Makes you look there was a day that was so long that I don't remember directing like a solid thirty minutes of it. <laughs> like there was just like there was a gap between like three and three thirty a.m. where we shot something and I didn't remember it. That's half true. <laughs> the the sleep deprivation part is very true. So we got one more clip. Oh, right. Okay. So this is, uh, you know, perhaps the crux of, Sam of Samantha's argument. You know, the question is, like, is her show Dear White People Racist? And the dean of the school, who happens to be a black man, uh, challenges her with that. And that's what this scene is, is about. Let's do it. The role of counterculture is to wake up the mainstream. I have furniture older than you. Counterculture? Is that what you think this is? Your little show? What about my show? The show is racist. Black people can't be racist. Prejudice, yes, but not racist. Racism describes a system of disadvantage based on race. Black people can't be racist since we don't stand to benefit from such a system. Your antics are making press, Sam. And press like this keeps men like President Fletcher up at night. 
warm milk? He's building a file on you. Okay, it's not my fault that your son couldn't beat me in an election. I'm sure it was tough growing up, wondering which side you fit into, feeling like you have to overcompensate, perhaps. If that's true, Dean, I'm not the only one. Let me show my stuff. Stop. Yeah, let me show my stuff. Stop. Honestly. So yes, there are serious parts to the movie as well. Yes. Um, it's, it's done incredibly well for you. I mean, the last few months must have been a whirlwind, the, the Sundance premiere, and then playing at New Directors New Films, which obviously says something about sort of the discovery of new talent and so forth. So it's one thing to have come up with the idea for a movie like this, but you know, clearly you followed through on it. So you know, talking before about uh, kind of the problem of, you know, maybe there aren't as many black filmmakers succeeding today as there should be and so forth. Has any of this sort of changed the way that you think about the situation? Um, I, I mean, I think that's sort of yet to be seen. I mean, the movie comes out this Friday and that's really what matters, honestly, in terms of like change in the industry. You know, I, I think my career is forever changed and I'm so happy. I mean, this is the best case scenario to be sitting in an Apple store in New York talking about this movie that was just like this random idea in 2006 that nobody was really looking for. So um, that's pretty incredible just on its own. But in terms of like changing the landscape of cinema, people got to show up and pay to see the movie. That has to happen because in Hollywood, you know, Movies don't get made unless a movie just like it made money in the last year, and that is true. <laughs> I mean, that's there's people don't sort of like fall in love with a screenplay anymore and just make it because they believe in it and pump a bunch of marketing behind it. That's not really the narrative anymore. So, um, I th I'm very hopeful. I think uh, the topics in the movie are in the zeitgeist enough for people to be ready for it, um, and the screenings we've had so thus far have been really encouraging. But you know, we'll, we'll know in a couple days, I think. One step at a time. So I want to leave room for audience questions. Really quickly, Tessa, do you want to add anything to that? I mean, did, you know, working on this project change the sort of things that you want to do as an actor? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it Short really did. <laughs> um, yeah, in fact, yes, it did. It did. It really did. I've been having... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, it's, yes. Yes, basically. Her well, answer the, the, is yes. No, the thing is, I'm really, I, I really like the word yes, and I think there's something about working in the... It's, it's just my favorite word, but there's also something about working in Hollywood that you are served up so many no's all the time that when you get a yes, you're sort of like, yes! Even if you, even if you don't necessarily feel that way sometimes, or you try to convince yourself that it's a yes instead of a no. And I think after Dear White People, that felt so incredibly like a yes to me from, from the moment I read it, I felt um, compelled to sort of wait until I felt that way. And then the next thing that came my way is this film called Selma, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. And, uh, and so, yes, I'm, I'm in a space where I, I, it, it has changed my course, I think. And Selma's opening next month, so you can even plug that here. Two birds, one stone. Oh, like plug it now or come back and plug it? Well, maybe both. Just okay. trying to work a Two months from appearance. Just yeah, well. Christmas Day, though. Selma's going to be amazing. Can I? Mini Driver's on next. I'll just stay and I'll be like, hey, <laughs> Mini, I got, this, I got this movie. Well, until then, audience questions. I know, like, for me, I'm a freestyle spoken word poet, so I speak a lot on, like, political issues with racial tension. How is it for you with this film? Like, how much of a bigger deal is it for you to have create this 
get it passed and get it out and then for you to even be in it and be featured and just have like such a dominant strong character I mean for me it's it's sort of like above it's like beyond me do you know what I'm saying like because the things that had to line up for this film to even happen and then for them to line up so that the film is like really released at a moment in our country where I feel like it fits perfectly into the conversation like that's not something I could have in any way orchestrated and along the way there was lots of me being just really lazy and sort of like not writing but things kind of happened in their own time so part of it is just like I can't even take it in fully because like it's just so beyond you know movies like this don't get made they just don't and that's not lost on me because I worked in the industry behind a desk before I started making films and you know I'm just I'm really really grateful and I'm, I'm really sort of just like on the edge of my seat like everybody else to see what happens when we open and, and how the film is embraced by the country. So for me, it's just really been just sort of taking in that this is a part of something that's bigger than me and bigger than us and you know, hoping that I've contributed to it in a meaningful way. Yeah, I think it's the same thing for me. So many conversations have been had recently about you know the face of television changing, that you can have a woman like Kerry Washington that's a lead on the show, and now Viola Davis or uh, Nicole Bahari, who's on Sleepy Hollow, that there are these women of color now in leading roles, and it's sort of shifting the paradigm. And um, obviously, Sam White and Tiana, Tiana Paris, who plays Coco, to see these young women... Um, of color that are, you know, really very unique portrayals, I think is incredible. And, and, and I, the, one of the things I said to Justin in the letter is that I'm, if I don't get to make this movie with you, I'm just so excited that you're, that you're here and that you're gonna make this movie. And so I think it takes a lot more people like a Justin Simeon to be like, hey, <laughs> here, here's this kind of story. And I, I'm just, you know, happy I got to, got to get it. Me too. There. Me too, Tessa. <laughs> you mentioned that um, Hollywood Shuffle and Do the Right Thing and School Days were your influence for this film. So I wondered if you have been in contact with Spike Lee or Robert Townsend. Mr. Spike Lee, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't heard from them. Uh, I haven't reached out to them. I'm afraid to meet my idols. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I'm afraid to show my little thing I did, and and you know, I, I, so I don't know if it's gonna happen. I think when it happens, I, I did have the pleasure of being able to introduce. She's got to have it uh, in uh, L.A. for like a Spike Lee retrospective. You know, I shook his hand and I sort of geeked out quietly in a corner. I, I sort of like you know. I tried to contain myself, uh, but we haven't like had a conversation about this film. I have no idea if you've seen it. Um, I hope he likes it. I, I, did I tell you I went to a luncheon like right after we made the movie, and he was sitting two tables across from me, and I was like no. going to march up because because do did the right thing up? had such yes, I did march you up. You marched up. And I you marched up, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you marched up and then you marched down. <laughs> I exactly that, <laughs> I but I really it. marched up with force. I was like, because I, I wanted to tell him what he, you know, just what that film do the right thing meant to me and and you'd be like hey i'm in this film that people like huh and then i was like no <laughs> so anyways good for you yeah i tried i'm proud of you just curious in the future would you ever want to associate with marvel or dc yes. is that for me oh yeah yes. yes i'm such a nerd dude yeah. i'm such a nerd 
Like I, I like watched. You know, when I first realized I wanted to be a filmmaker, I feel like I was watching Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> like I swear, I was like, I want to do that one day. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge nerd. I love comic books, and I, I really, you know, I'm a bit more of. I love both, so I'm not trying to make anybody mad. I'm a bit more of a Marvel guy though, because the hero is, is usually more of a sort of like underdog, marginalized person, which I can relate to for you know maybe obvious reasons. I don't know, uh, but yeah, I would live to do a superhero movie. It'd be so fun. Same. Okay. Well, since we're talking about uh, this particular movie, I mean, do you guys think that the, I mean, is it a little too vanilla? I mean, the, you know. Do oh, they, doing like a superhero movie? No, are the superhero movies that are being made right oh, now? Oh, know? Um, I mean, it depends on the story. I mean, on one hand of it, it's like when you're doing something that's straight up, like it's a commodity. Like this movie low-key has to make a jillion dollars opening weekend or else it will not get made. You do sort of have a responsibility, I think, as a filmmaker to the four quadrant of it all. That said, you know, there are some characters that really speak to me as a filmmaker. Uh, and if it, if it felt right and it felt like we could do something really powerful, which I think you can do in that genre, uh, particularly like science fiction, uh, you know, the more science fiction ideas, um, I think it could be really cool, man. I'm not going to say which one I'm gunning for, but I've got some ideas. You'll tell your agent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Peace. Uh, who else are you hyped about? Like, who else in, within your, you know, currently, this also storytelling or... Within the crew? In, in, it doesn't necessarily have to be film, but what other writers, okay. directors, and so both of you that you Well, you're, I'm going to shout out to Ava DuVernay, who is going to, you know, Selma is going to be huge, which is like the Martin Luther King movie coming out at Christmas. And what I love about that movie is that it is a biopic. It sort of is, you know, in the world of the past and sort of our past struggles, but it's approaching it from like a really contemporary point of view that's Ava's point of view and she's really bringing something so special to that genre and I personally I'm a fan of hers I can't wait to see it um, I'm also a big fan of Baratunde Thurston who's an author and a personality he, he does take part live but he wrote this book called uh, How to Be Black <laughs> which is hilarious I'm a big fan of Issa Rae uh, awkward black girl who really you know literally became a phenomenon on YouTube with her own show, producing content and helping other people produce their content. Uh, and I got to shout out my best friend and producing partner on this, Lena Waith, um, who, you know, also has, we, we did a pilot, a sort of like pilot presentation on the internet together. Uh, and, and her work is phenomenal. And I cannot wait for audiences to discover, um, you know, her, her TV shows. They're coming soon. Oh man, so many people I'm excited about. I, I really am excited about Dee Reese. She made this movie called Pariah yes, that Reese. was at Sundance. She wrote and directed right it. On. Such a beautiful film. Um, a lot, Ava DuVernay is someone that I was really tracking and so, so excited that I got to work with her along those lines. Bradford Young shot Selma. He also shot Pariah. He's a cinematographer that I think is just everything. Um, I really love Miranda July. She writes books. She makes movies. Um, she recently made an app for your mobile devices called Somebody. It's a messaging app. If you don't know about it, check it out. Oh, it's yeah. free. I heard about it's really that. cool. It's huh. occasionally glitchy, but, I, I, but that's cool too, actually. Um, yeah, those are some people I like. Hi, guys. Um, first of all, it's very inspiring to see two young people like yourself being on stage and having a movie like this that's making a lot of headway. 
in the industry. And when I saw the trailer, it was really inspired, and I was excited to see it. Um, another thing, the tip, I can totally relate. <laughs> I've been there, so I know where you're coming from. Um, my question for you two are, um, the, any challenging moments on set? Um, you know, like, is there something that you've done that you may have not wanted to do or you've learned that you can carry into your next film? Because I'm sure you're going to get a next film. Yeah, I mean, out. there were many, thank you for that question, there were many challenging moments on set. Just we didn't have the time, you know? I mean, truthfully, when you're doing a multi-protagonist story, one, and one that's sort of like, you know, the, the intent is to make it look theatrical and to sort of like, you know, it's not like shaky documentary cinema verite style. It's very sort of presentational. You know, you want like a month and a half or more to prep a film like that. And you want like, you know, 30 days to shoot a film like that. You know, we had a couple weeks in 19 days. So there are compromises that you just sort of have to make in the moment. You don't really, you can't really think about it and you can't go back and shoot it again or, or shoot the scene. I mean, we were cutting, we were shedding scenes from the screenplay to get it done. And, um, you know, I, I regret that some of those, some of those scenes got lost, especially as you, when you start to tour the film and you're like, oh man, I really wish, now that I know how that scene plays, like I really wish we had that extra footage. And one of the things that, you know, and I guess it was just sort of the pessimist in me, I just assumed that once we sold the movie, the studio would want to cut it up. <laughs> so in, my, in, in the back of my head, I was like, okay, I'm gonna get to go back in though. And Rosa was like, we love it, we love it. Let's put it out as is. And I was like, oh crap. So there's no budget for me to like add stormtroopers and do my George Lucas thing. There's no budget for that. So, uh, and, and also the movie was really working. Um, but I think, you know, I'm the kind of guy who, will, who would always want to <laughs> always be reworking and, and basing off of how it played, like working out different things. And also because our culture has really shifted since we locked the picture. A lot of things in the movie that are presented satirically are happening in everyday life and they're making the news now. And, you know, I wish I could kind of comment on those things, but I, I can't. And, uh, but, you know, next time. I, I had a ch challenging moments, but frankly, none of them are that interesting. But <laughs> Tiana Paris, who plays Coco, in the scene that you... Did we see a scene? She, she, in the trailer, she takes off a, a blonde wig, or she puts on a blonde wig. That was before the black face party, and she does an oh, opposite right. thing. She puts on white face. Right. Or not white face, but she... She just lightens her tone She lightens her yeah. tone a bit, and she has these blue contacts. And, and she spoke about how she kind of had a breakdown when she looked at herself in the mirror, and that was a really tough experience for her that night because she realized that there are women that feel that way, that feel like the only way for them to be beautiful is to manipulate to their skin that, color yeah. or to mask their eyes or to change their hair. And that's, and that's the way that they walk around and navigate the world every day. And that was just a really painful realization for her. So I know that was a difficult night for her. Mm. Hi, um, so as a writer, I just wanted to know, like, what is the writing process like? Like, when did you start writing this? What are some challenges that you face? Um, when you were writing it, like, how did you, how did you make it inclusive, but also not subjective? Yeah, um, I mean, I, one thing, I, I wanted it to be multi-protagonist. Like, I, there was just no way for me to make a movie that intended to have a conversation and not be dogmatic about this particular experience. In my head, like, I couldn't put it together as a single-person narrative. Um, it had to be multi-protagonist, and they really don't teach you, there's not an emphasis on teaching students how to write that in film school, because those 
spec scripts don't sell. You know, like I said, they're not really in vogue, and they're also really, really difficult to write, and they're kind of not that fun to read. It's they're very dense scripts, and you don't have a, real, a lot of time to set up the character. You know, so it's it was just in all ways like a bad idea, just from the outside looking in. So for me, it was you know my research process was like finding the very few resources there were out there that applied to that specific style of narrative. Um, and to like watch like everything in that style, and it wasn't just like black movies. It was you know it was um, it was do the right thing, but it was also election, and it was fame, and it was the Royal Tenenbaums, and it was Animal House, and you know I just sort of devoured those movies and tried to figure out how they worked, and I kept trying it. And a big part of my process is to table read. Uh, we table read the script. Uh, we opened it up for comments. And particularly because this movie does sort of touch a nerve and it does, you know, speak to some racial issues, whenever someone got set off by something, instead of closing off to it and, and taking it personally, I tried to incorporate it into the film because the film really is about point-counterpoint. It's about the conversation. It's about the back and forth. You, the audience, get to decide who is right. The film doesn't sort of make a dogmatic choice for you. And so it was important for me to sort of be open, you know, to the feedback that was hard to hear and incorporate it into the narrative. And, and that's, I just kind of kept doing that to the best of my ability until it was really time to shoot it and I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> So clearly, if people like what you're talking about here, and if they want to see and experience more, they can go see the movie this week and also tell their friends, right? So. That's right. Uh, I mean, we, you know, dearwhitepeoplemovie.com slash tickets. Get them now. You got to make that Marvel movie. So. Got, I want to make a Marvel movie, so please, you know, if you want, if you want a black Spider-Man, okay? Ooh, I want to play Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just telling him he should do Pixar last night. I was Let's like, you are it. so Pixar. <laughs> you didn't say that. I said something like that. Remember, we had a Pixar conference. Yes, we did. Don't we lie. talked about it. I think you said it in your head. I, I love said, Pixar. No, you we're said, you Pixar said if you would ever have an office job again, you would do it at oh, Pixar. Totally. After I said, totally. you're so right for Pixar. You did say that. Stop. This conversation will never resolve itself. Thank you for being here. <laughs> and thank Thanks, you. Thanks, everybody. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs>